Holy Gospel, according to St. John from the 15th chapter. This morning's Gospel is, according to St. John, the 15th and 16th chapter, found on page 1678 in your pew Bible. John 15, verses 26 through 27, and 16, 4 through 15. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go... I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Today is the feast of Pentecost. It is the Sunday when we focus on revelation of the Holy Spirit, which is 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead and 10 days after he ascended into heaven. And the three readings that Ken read to us and that the church has chosen today through the lectionary all point to some aspect 
of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament reading tells us this, that the Word of God is powerful enough to bring dry bones to life. The epistle is the account of the Pentecost itself. And the gospel is Jesus' promise, his promise to send the Holy Spirit and his description of the benefits that the disciples will receive from the Holy Spirit. So hold on with me just a second. Listen to this. This last week, through listening and through reading, the, it was put on my heart, a particular type of a prayer. And, and, and you've known me long enough to have heard me start a Bible study with, we call on you, Holy Spirit, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Have you heard me say that before? I'm seeing some mm-hmms. Well, there's a reason for that. We need to come to his word with a spirit of faith and a spirit of expectancy. We need to have humility, have humble hearts, enough humility to say this. I don't know what this means. That's okay. In opposite, sometimes we hear these stories that we've heard over and over and over again, and we think we know what it means, and we can kind of check out, oh yeah, this is the one where dot, dot, dot. And that precludes us from really hearing and really seeing what the Holy Spirit would do for us. We need to have the humility to ask, open my eyes, Lord. Open my ears, Lord. Work on my heart, Lord. Because I am yours, Lord. All right, back to our original programming. Did you know? Of course you did. Did you know that the Pentecost described in today's epistle was not the first Pentecost? Pentecost in Greek, as Ken was telling us, is a term for a, the Feast of Weeks. And God established the Feast of Weeks when he gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. It was one of three festivals that required the men of Israel to gather together at a place that the Lord told them to. The other two feasts that Ken mentioned, the other two feasts were the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is a week-long celebration that begins the day after Passover. The Feast of Booths was a time for remembering the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Moses summarized this, what I just told you, when he gave his farewell sermon in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 16, 16, for those that are taking notes. It's recorded three times a year. All your males shall appear 
before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. So you could be thinking, well, thanks for the history lesson, Pastor, but your sermons tend to go long. Are you putting in filler? Maybe you would think, what's your point? Please. Well, let me tell you this. I am blown away by a, ooh, aha moment. Let me share. I'm blown away at how God prepared Israel for the coming of the Messiah, even as God was giving the law to Moses on Sinai. Now stay with me. Jerusalem, at the time of our scene today, Jerusalem would have been full of pilgrims when Jesus died on the cross because it was Passover. Okay? And right at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now in a similar way, Jerusalem would be full of pilgrims on Pentecost. So they all saw him die, and now they're all there to see the Holy Spirit. The sound of the mighty wind and the appearance of tongues of fire were a call to gather the faithful men of Israel, the faithful men who had gathered according to the law given to Moses so many centuries before. And the Holy Spirit called the faithful men of Israel together as the beginning of the New Testament church. Now, up until now, these pilgrims, they had been faithfully waiting for the coming of the promised Messiah. And now, the Holy Spirit called them together to inform them that the long-awaited Messiah had come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Their faith was not to be in the promise of a Messiah who would one day save them. Instead, it was to be in the Jesus of Nazareth who, as the Messiah, had come and kept God's promise. Already done. The Holy Spirit let his presence be known in a rare and a spectacular way on that day. For we know the ultimate goal of this spectacular display of sound and of light was to actually draw in the faithful Pentecost pilgrims, to draw them in together so that they could hear about the mighty works of God. The proclamation of the mighty works of God was so important that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gave the disciples the ability to proclaim these mighty works in the native languages of all of the faithful pilgrims who arrived on the scene. These Jews that came For this feast, not all of them spoke the same language. 
The mighty works of God focus on the person of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he earned for the entire world. Seven weeks earlier, the Romans had crucified this man. They mocked him. They spit on him. They beat him with rods. They scourged him with whips and then nailed him to a cross. Jesus Christ died on that cross, but it was not possible for death to hold him, and he rose from the dead. Now, the disciples were telling the faithful that they were witnesses of all of these things. These are the mighty works of God that the disciples were telling to the faithful in their own native languages. Now, the true work of the Holy Spirit is not in tongues of fire or the sound of a a mighty rushing wind. The true work of the Holy Spirit is in the proclamation of the mighty works of God. One more time, the true work of the Holy Spirit is in the proclamation of the mighty works of God. That's why I pray in our men's group that the Holy Spirit would do the gospel to the hearers. And as Jesus said in today's gospel, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now, the sound was impressive, and it certainly drew a crowd. And even so, the main work of the Holy Spirit witnesses to and about Jesus Christ. Now, what does the Holy Spirit's message sound like then? Well, in today's gospel, Jesus said, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, our own nature is inclined to think this, that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. The difficulty comes when we try to determine who is good enough. Who's good enough to go to heaven? And who is so bad that they are definitely going to hell? And the Holy Spirit steps in and he settles that argument for us. He convicts the world of sin. Let me give you an example, very personal. He tells me that I am not good enough to go to heaven and that I deserve to go to hell. He comes to me and he tells me that I have lost many opportunities. He says, as a husband, you have not loved your wife as Christ loved the church. As a father, he tells me that you have not brought up your children in the fear of the Lord. 
as a son. He tells me that you have not honored your parents. And as a pastor, he tells me that you have not cared for my sheep. Further, he reminds me, do not even begin to think that there is anything that you can do to earn your way into heaven. He convicts me of my sin, and he shows me that I am indeed totally helpless before God. So, if the Holy Spirit left me in that state, if he left me there, I would be the most wretched. But he doesn't. He doesn't leave me there. He doesn't leave you there either. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness. The Holy Spirit beholds me in my helpless state before God, and he says, there is righteousness that belongs to you. This is the righteousness of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The righteousness of his perfect life is yours, Pastor. His righteousness is your Righteousness, church family. The price that he paid is dearer than you can possibly imagine. He brought you, he, rather, he bought you with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. With this dreadful price, he exchanged his righteousness for your sin. Now, he offers salvation to you for free. There is sweet comfort in the Holy Spirit's conviction of righteousness, for it is the righteousness of Christ unto salvation. This is the Holy Spirit who makes the righteousness of Christ available to all of us through faith. And last, there is the Holy Spirit's conviction of judgment. The world, the world wants to stand in judgment over us. And Satan thinks he is God himself. And they take it upon themselves to judge between right and wrong and between that which is that which must be condemned and that which must be accepted. Even though the message of salvation through Jesus Christ is for the entire world, Satan and the world insist that this message is divisive, that this message is narrow-minded, that this message is intolerant and bigoted. The world brings this thinking against God and his Christians in an effort to exterminate the message of the gospel. The Holy Spirit fights the judgment of this world with his own conviction of judgment. He draws our attention to the fate of the ruler of this world. That's Satan. 
Satan's judgment is already sealed. It's finished. He is the one who brought God's beloved creation into a state of sin. And for that, he will suffer forever. As the Holy Spirit reveals the fate of Satan to us, he assures us that judgment and condemnation by the world is not judgment of God, but that it is the judgment of the devil, the one who's already condemned. God carried out his judgment against sin. He already carried it out. Do you hear me? He already carried out his judgment on sin when he punished his son in order for our sins to be forgiven. He punished his son in our place on a cross. Now the Holy Spirit reveals God's judgment. And God looks at all believers in Christ and he says this, I see only the righteousness of my beloved Son, Jesus Christ. There is therefore no more condemnation. None. The Holy Spirit could probably introduce us to Christ in an infinite number of ways. But he has chosen to introduce us through the Word of God. He works and sustains faith in us through the word of God that we hear with our ears and that we read with our eyes. He works faith in us with the wet word of the holy baptism that we experienced as we combine the word of God with water according to Christ's command. He sustains our baptismal faith as we confess our sins to God our Father and hear Christ's word of forgiveness on the lips of our pastor. He strengthens our faith as Christ himself comes to us as the living word in his body and in his blood. In these ways, the Holy Spirit has chosen to connect us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we might well ask, how powerful can words really be? Are words really that important? And the answer to that question comes to us from today's Old Testament reading. God actually commanded... Ezekiel, to preach a sermon to a congregation of dry bones. And Ezekiel preached according to the word of the Lord. And the dry bones became an exceedingly great army. The word of God is powerful. Not because we say it or use it, but because God stands behind it with his promises, and he has promised this. Listen to me, Isaiah 55, verse 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return 
They do not return there, but they water the earth, making the earth bring forth and sprout and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing in which and for which I sent it. God's word is powerful. The Holy Spirit works through the word to put the finishing touch of faith on our salvation. God the Father himself sent his Son into the world, John three seventeen, in order that the world might be saved through him. The Son has purchased our salvation with his holy, his precious blood, and his innocent suffering and death paid our debt. The Holy Spirit brings this salvation to us as he calls us by the gospel, as he enlightens us with his gifts, as he sanctifies us in the one true faith. So the work of justification is complete. We do nothing. God does it all. Because God does it all, our salvation is secure, and we shall live forever with him. In the name of Jesus, amen.